really sing. <laughs> la, 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 la. Hello and welcome to the SBNY Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy and I am your host. The Sports Blog New York Podcast is on Apple Podcasts, app iTunes, as well as Google Play. Find it simply by searching Sports Blog New York Podcast or go to sportsblognewyork.com, click on the podcast tab, and any of those articles will lead you in the right direction. If you are a subscriber or not, please subscribe to this podcast and then go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, app, or Google Play and leave a rating and review about the pod, what you think of me, what you think of the podcast, what you think we do good, and maybe some uh, criticism as well. We love to hear the feedback from our loyal listeners. But the NBA draft has gone down. It's taken place a couple days ago, and now we're here to give you all you need to know. Trades, Knicks, Nets picks, best picks, worst picks, and more. But first, a word from our presenting sponsor. Wooter Apparel is the number one stop shop for custom uniforms and apparel. Has two to three week turnaround, custom designs, anything you can imagine for any single sport. Go to WooterApparel.com or search them on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Wooter Apparel to check out what they're working with. Full, customized, subliminated uniforms at the best prices with the quickest turnaround. And the best part is, use discount code SBNY for a special discount at your purchase. Again, that's discount code SBNY at your purchase. And you'll be hooked up with the best, buy the best, and that's Wooter Apparel. But now, without further ado, let me bring in my guest. His name is Joe Calabrese, and he's back to talk about all the picks and picks that didn't happen just last week. What's up, man? How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? I'm doing well. You know, it's... uh... A long weekend, post-draft, I was looking forward to it. A lot lot went down. A very interesting weekend. A lot is going down as of right now, too, but we're going to get to a lot of NBA draft talk. Uh, We're going to get to an extensive discussion about both the Knicks pick and the Nets pick. We're going to break down the first round. We're going to break down some trades that happened. We're going to break down some trades that didn't happen, and then we're going to give you our winners and our losers. Hopefully three of each, and hopefully we, we'll probably agree on a few. We'll probably disagree on a few, but uh, hopefully it doesn't overlap too much. And absolutely, that was I'm a, ready to go. That was a great breakdown right there of what we're going to be getting into. And one of the interesting things you said, which I agree with, some of the trades that didn't happen because there was so much talk leading to this draft about this trade, that trade, Paul George, KP, Porzingis, uh, obviously Jimmy Butler is one that happened. But the story may be also things that didn't happen and picks that weren't made as expected, uh, but overall, not a whole lot of big action on trade night, I mean draft night, Yeah. except for that one big trade in the first round, we'll get into that, uh, to, to kick this thing off. So that trade was sending one of the top 15 players in the NBA, no matter how you want to skin it, Jimmy Butler, to the Minnesota Timberwolves to join his old coach in Tom Thibodeau, and two young studs in Conley Towns and Andrew Wiggins. Now, there was some interesting feedback through sportsblognewyork.com as well as at sportblognyc on Twitter because one of our writers, former co-host of this podcast, said the biggest loser of the NBA draft was the Minnesota Timberwolves. How about that? Now, before I give you some of the feedback our followers gave, which is hilarious, (laughs) about this one article that a guy wrote for our blog, his name is John Lucas Duffy, I want to hear what you think. What do you think about the trade between Minnesota and Chicago sending Jimmy to Minneapolis? First off, I am going to start by saying in regard to NBA trades, I think the biggest way to look at them properly 
is who is getting the best player in the deal. Now, I think Minnesota and Chicago are in two very, very different places right now in regard to organizational philosophy, the directions that each team is going in. Right now, Minnesota is on the upswing. They've got a great young core with Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, two former top, top picks. You have Ricky Rubio in the mix, who's been, for a long time, one of the league's underrated distribute-first point guards. He's a lengthy player. He's an underrated defender. And now you're starting to see everything come together a little bit. They needed another piece. They needed another piece to compete, especially in the West. A lot of people, including myself, thought with the, the hire of Tom Thibodeau last year that they were going to take a step defensively and they were going to be a playoff team. And they did not come out of the gate as well as a lot of people expected, like I said, including myself. So I believe that the biggest takeaway from this trade is that not only did they get the best player, not only did they get the best defensive player, but right now this is a tremendous step forward to the Timberwolves' chances of making the playoffs. It's, it's going to be hard to imagine them not in the postseason next year. Now, on the flip side, let's talk about the Bulls. Yes. If you're not in the NBA, this, is, this has been said by a lot of people recently, including Bill Simmons, who absolutely preaches the hell out of this. If you're not in the, the top tier and you're, you know, you're not really bad, you don't want to be in the middle somewhere. Yes. And now when we look at this Bulls team, for more than a couple of years, they were trending in that kind of middle direction. Let me, let me say this real quick, though. Go let, me ahead, just clarify, go ahead. let me just clarify one thing what, with what you're saying. You don't want to get stuck in the middle if you're seemingly stuck there. But this Minnesota Timberwolves team was at the bottom. Now this move will slowly but surely put them to the middle with hopes of bursting through that to the top. I think this move... Because you're not going to go straight from the bottom to the top. No, Let's you be don't, realistic here. Right. You don't, you don't start from the bottom and get to... Shoot it straight up. Even the Warriors, before they won their first title two, three years ago... Right. They went into the playoffs once, right. you know, had some tough gritted out series, and then the next year when Steve Kerr took over, I add, they went to the top. They didn't go from out of the playoffs to the best team in the league. No, but I believe you can go from being a non-playoff team to a 50-win a team overnight. And we've seen this recently. It happened with the Thunder. The Thunder were not a playoff team the very first year after they added James Harden on top of Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. And the following year, they won 50-plus games, and they made it to the Western Conference Finals. And we saw that a couple of years with the Warriors. They were a perennial 48-50-52-54 win team. They were kind of always hovering in that 4-6 to six range in the West. Right before then, they missed the playoffs. So they went from that... that cusp too like they were like consistently out of the playoffs and then they just went from a 50 win team overnight right so we've seen that happen before even the Rockets is another example once they got James Harden absolutely there you go so I just I look at I look at everything that's going on in Minnesota right now and it, it the, all the ingredients are there and I think with the top end talent that they have I think it's more of more of a safe bet that they're going to bypass that awkward middling stage you don't want to be in the NBA. I can see them becoming a top 10 team overnight, especially with the deconstruction of teams like the Clippers in the West. We don't know where Gordon Hayward is going. In Very true. Agency. He might leave the Jazz. Right there, those were two teams that were blocking them 
the, for the playoff spots the, uh, last so, year. So listen to this. Yeah. Sportblog NYC, our own Twitter, tweeted this out and said the Timberwolves core tweeted out four names. Ricky Rubio, Andrew Wiggins, Jimmy Butler, and Carl Anthony Towns. Now the age of those four players is Rubio 26, Wiggins 22, Butler oldest at 27, entering the true prime of his career, and then Carl Anthony Towns, who's 21 years old. So that means they're going to have Jimmy Butler through his prime, 28 to 30, hopefully if he stays, 31, while Carl Anthony Towns, Wiggins, are at their athletic primes, growing into becoming perennial all-stars and great players. So it's a really nice trade on the surface from the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I like what you were talking about, the Bulls, they finally reset. They need to get younger, they need to get more athletic, and that's what they did with this trade. My Chicago fans, one of my co-workers, his, he's from Chicago, he's a big Bulls fan, <laughs> he said that he loves Jimmy Butler Hopefully he'll love his kids as much as he loved Jimmy Butler. That's what he said to me. So it's tough for the, the pills to, for them to swallow. It's kind of how the Knicks felt about KP leaving, except this guy's actually won something already. But for the Bulls, you got to do what you got to do. If you love him, let him go. And that's how I kind of feel about it. Here's what I like of what the Bulls did too. Usually in t- these types of trades, you're getting strictly futures and you're getting kind of like B assets, right? Usually teams like these who trade these players are always trading them like 10 cents, you know, quarter on the dollar, right? I think in the Bulls' case, Chris Dunn's a nice piece. He did not have a good rookie season, but he still projects as a really good NBA point guard. Don't know if he'll ever be an all-star, but he's going to be a good player. Zach Levine has become one of those ultra, super athletic players who has progressed nicely in his first couple of years just strictly on athleticism alone. He's got an improving shot. He's got the chance to get better. And Laurie Markkinen has immense potential, profiles exactly like KP. This is a very good draft. And the other piece going back to Minnesota, Justin Patton, he was great in Creighton last year. He's going to be a very solid rotational big, too. So I think it was a good trade for both teams. I think both teams got exactly what they needed. Now, I think you make a good point. I, I was so shocked that they had to give away 16 as well. Justin Patton is a real nice player for Minnesota now. And I just think it was something that shouldn't have been in the deal for the Bulls. You That's know, tough pill to swallow that they're losing 16 and only gaining, you know, Lori marketing for it, basically. The most interesting thing that you'll hear, especially on this podcast and nobody else is going to talk about leading up to this, maybe, maybe until we get to the NBA season, is that right now the Timberwolves are in such a unique spot because they have Gorgie Dang, too. And now they have Justin Patton. And uh, And Nemanja Bialica. And those are are pure... Don't sleep on Nemanja Bialica. (laughs) Those are two, like three, like, pure fives. This team can experiment with Carl Anthony Towns at the four. Oh my gosh. Just like what the the Pelicans do with Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis can play the five, he can play the four. Maybe we get that out of Carl Anthony Towns. I don't know with Thibs. I don't know how experimental he is. Usually he's a pretty straight, cookie-cutter, by-the-book guy. He asks his players to play their position. He asks them to defend their position. He asks a lot of tenacity. So, But we'll see what happens. It's an interesting wrinkle in the deal. It is. I mean, let, let's go through this one thing real quick on Sportblog NYC. That's on Twitter and also sportsblognewyork.com, where our, our friend of the podcast, he wrote an article. He told me direct quote through text message after he wrote it. He, got, he goes... Just wrote an article on Minnesota Timberwolves. My computer overheated. The take is so hot. And boy, was the take hot. And it got some mean feedback on Twitter. So (laughs) we tweeted it out. To be clear, we said hot take alert. The Timberwolves are the losers in this trade. They accomplished nothing. So we're trying to set the the page here. We're trying to let everybody know this is going to be a little crazy. 
but it invoked some madness. So one of our followers tweeted at SportPlugNYC, do you hire a gang of 13-year-olds to write this? I love SBNY, but goddamn, was that the shittiest article I've ever read on every level. (laughs) So the fact that my friend, our friend of this podcast, was able to write an article that invoked such madness is kind of crazy. It actually kind of talks a lot about where the state of social media you know, culture is, but we're not going to get into that right now. No time for it. This is um, that was, like other, the most PG-13 of their responses. <laughs> most people said, yeah, except maybe the Timberwolves will make the playoffs for the first time in 14 years. That's pretty exciting. This, this is why the NBA sucks. Got a whole lot of feedback on it. Hate on the author, which is hilarious to me, but he knew what he was getting himself into. But he makes a point right, that the Timberwolves traded for Jimmy Butler. Are they good enough to truly compete in the West? Maybe not. Probably not. His point was he doesn't think they are. So what the hell is the point of doing this trade? You just lost Zach Levine, Chris Dunn, and a number seven pick. Not worth it because you're still not going to win anything. Such a pessimistic view that this kid threw out there. But I thought it was hilarious to see some of the reaction we got. But believe it or not, amongst all the negative reaction, we also got some positive reaction saying, no one wrote this article. I agree with you. No one would ever see this coming. So it's going to take some time, but we'll see if Jimmy Butler actually turns the Timberwolves franchise around. Because I think it's not all, everything's not about the championship. The Timberwolves need to make the playoffs once or twice before they make a run for a finals. You need to crawl before you can walk. And goddamn thank you. People who hate on the NBA and hate on the super team need to remember a couple things. One is super teams don't last forever. No matter how much you think the Warriors are going to win eight titles in a row, they're not. I don't care what you think, what you say, how good they are. They won't be together for eight more years. Maybe two, maybe three, maybe one. Crazier things have happened. If they told you that the Lakers with Shaq and Kobe would be broken up and Shaq would be on, in Miami in 2006, you would have said, you're crazy. They're, why would Shaq and Kobe ever leave each other? They haven't made. They're in the midst of three, back, three championships in a row. Super teams don't last forever. Things change quicker than you expect. So I think this is a good move for Timberwolves, but I think we got to move on. Yes. we got to keep moving because we talked a lot about that. So let's get into this actual draft, no? Or is there more trades you want to talk about? Uh, I kind of wanted to hit on the uh, the Celtics. The right? Celtics lack of trade. How about the Celtics this? lack of trade? We talk so much about Markel Fultz and Lonzo Ball. We, we don't need to go too far into them, correct? Correct. They went as we'll expected. Get, we'll get to them later. So how about this? Let's just let's, let's, let's do, go let's, right to three. Let's do this. I'm going to say this. Markel Fultz is number one pick. Most people thought he was the number one pick for a long time. Now he went to the best, uh, the number one team. The Sixers traded up for him. They got the guy he wanted. Hopefully they're healthy. Markel Fultz was the number one pick. What more do you want us to say? Now we got to wait and see what he's going to do as the first pick in this draft. Lonzo Ball, we've talked about him to exhaustion. We've talked about his dad through and past exhaustion. We don't need to talk about it. He's a pass-first point guard who can help change the culture in Los Angeles. What does he have to do now? Show up when the games are here. We don't need to break that down. Let's skip them. Is that, is that okay? I'm all right with that. More L- than okay listeners, with that. Listeners, I'm sure you're okay with this. We know who these guys are. We hear too much about them. Let's talk about what happens after number one and two. Because after one and two is where this draft got actually real interesting. Very interesting. It started at three. It started at three because that was the unexpected. We didn't know Celtics going to take Josh Jackson. They're going to take Tatum. Or are they going to pull a trick up their sleeve and trade again for more picks, a good player for once? What the hell are they going to do? And you, my friend, have a different view than most. 
I do. What, what the Celtics did at number three. So talk about that. I do. I think the weakest position on their team was a, a wing who was able to, to defend outside on the perimeter. Now, anybody who watches the Celtics understands that they have some of the best guard play in the league. Isaiah Thomas has become really fantastic scorer. Doesn't really give you too much on the defensive end. Avery Bradley, absolutely a very solid complement, very good two-way player. Not a tremendous scorer, but he's a really good defender, and he'll give you 15, 20 points a night on good nights. Marcus Smart's still a little bit, we don't know, like, what, what the jury's out on him right now. You know, he was a high pick, very touted out of college. Strong defender. Very strong defender, but he also plays the same position that Avery Bradley does. They're both twos. They can't play the three. They're too. I think. I don't think Smart is good enough to defend NBA threes. I think Bradley can defend both guard positions. I think Smart can defend his position. I can't see them defending the LeBron Jameses, the Paul Georges, the Jimmy Butlers of the world. Right. You throw them at them for a mix-up mid-game. They can't right. do it all game. Correct. Because as a Knicks fan, we can sit here and say we've seen Mark Smart handle Melo. Right. And not many people legitimately handle Melo, right. but he's giving him fists. Right. But he can't do that all game. Right. He can't match him up all game. Yeah, watching so that's, the, that's what you're getting at there. Watching the Knicks not play defense and then watching good players on other teams play defense, you really you gain an appreciation for what you don't have. <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah. So let's let's talk about this for a second. I thought the Celtics were in a spot where they could have easily have vaulted themselves at the very least onto Cleveland's level. Let's all agree, even though they had more wins this season, even though they were tremendously well-coached, oh, excellent they bunch this season, they were not Cleveland. Right. Weren't even close. They were clearly the second-best team in the East. They, were, they, put, they had themselves in a position to either move the pick, to get a Paul George, a Jimmy Butler, or to take a player who was not as polished on the offensive end in Josh Jackson of Kansas – but who has the upside of an elite NBA defender. Now, I know very big college basketball expert, Mr. John Rothstein, where you're pretty close. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah? Uh, he thinks Jackson's <laughs> defensive ability profile is similarly to a, a so one. This is a CBS Sports guy, correct? Yes. And what did he tell He told you this? He told me that Jackson's def- – I've seen – I've watched plenty of Kansas games this year too. So yes. I believe him when he says this, and I've, and I've seen this firsthand too. Josh Jackson's defensive upside profile is one very similarly to Andre Iguodala. Wow. And he's got the length. It uh, doesn't necessarily have the wingspan, but and he's also got small hands, so a lot of people are concerned about that. But based on pure athleticism and defensive ability alone, he can do it. Yes. And I think he's the superior defensive player to Jason Tatum. The thing that separates Tatum, though, is his scoring ability. Might be a little more more of a versatile player. Maybe he can Offensively. Play. Now, this right. is my thing here on Jason Tatum and Josh Jackson. Jason Tatum is a better scorer right now. Absolutely. Point blank. If you listen to the pre-draft podcast that we posted last week, I said I'm higher on Josh Jackson, and here is why. Jason Tatum is a better scorer. Josh Jackson is better at everything else. He's a better competitor, in my eyes. He's a better defender. He's a better rebounder. He's a willing passer, and people say he's one of the most competitive guys in this draft. Now, scoring upside to me is where Josh Jackson can be as good as Jason Tatum. Now, maybe right now Tatum has the edge of him scoring. But there's no reason for me to believe that Josh Jackson can't become 
an elite scorer, 20 points a game. So you might get Tatum to drop 15 this year as a rookie, and Jackson might only score 12. But in three years, when Jackson's really hitting his stride, and he's scoring 20, and Tatum's scoring 20, but Josh Jackson's also being a great defender, helping his teammates play better, and matching up one through four, guarding point guards on switches, guarding small forwards and power forwards, that's things that Jason Tatum cannot do. So I'm picking upside. I'm picking the best player. I want the guy who's better at everything with the upside of the scoring rather than the guy with the good scoring with the eh upside of everything else. And that's just how I feel about Josh Jackson versus Jason Tatum. No, I couldn't agree more. I think a lot of people are enamored with Tatum's offensive talent and a lot of people don't think he got the most out of it at Duke. But like I told, like I said at the very beginning, I think Boston's biggest weakness was they needed that guy on the outside and that guy who can develop and be that potentially elite player, defender that they need. Because let's be real here, too. Point guards are the prize of the NBA, correct? Right. Everyone thinks you need a point guard, they're like a quarterback. Right. But do point guards win championships? Not historically. You need, you need other components. You need dominant wings or right. bigs. Not or, as much bigs today, but in the history. Or you need collectively a really tough team defense. Yes. Because you when need, we look at recently... But what does that come down to? It comes down to dominant wings or bigs. Right. You need either elite def- defense, which comes with rim protection, right. and someone who can stop a LeBron, who can stop a Kawhi, who can stop a Kevin Durant. Right. Or slow them down. Right. The best point guards in the league are not the guys carrying teams in the playoffs. They're the, they're the ones who get them there. They're not the ones who bring it home. Right. No, I agree with that 100%. Recently, I think the Warriors, the first time they won, Curry was their best player. Absolutely. But again, it was more of a collective effort. That was Draymond really emerging into his own. They had Klay Thompson on the outside shooting. And being an elite defender. But they also had Andre Iguodala, who they could pull right off the bench. And and most teams would would kill to have an Andre Iguodala in their starting lineup, let alone coming off the bench. Who goddamn won the finals MVP. Come on. Right, absolutely. Now look at uh, Spurs, too, with Kawhi Leonard. Every single great NBA team has that elite player on the wing. Now, I think it was a mistake they didn't take Josh Jackson simply because I think he's the better defensive player in the long run, and I think he's got more of the, the, the upside to, to become that. Also, he's got a lot of trade value, too. You can make a good argument that Josh Jackson's trade value going into the draft was a lot higher than Jason Tatum's. We saw the Celtics inquire about Josh Jackson. We saw the Suns wanted to. They ended up taking him at the very next pick. We saw the Knicks shopping KP. They were in strong, strong, strong talks that if KP was moved to get a pick in that three to four range, right. they would have taken Josh Jackson with that pick. And we even saw Josh Jackson connected with the Bulls, potentially as a Jimmy Butler replacement. Right. So um, I don't think it was necessarily a mistake, but I don't like the pick for Boston. And I think if you're going to take a guy like Jason Tatum, who projects maybe as more of a, an upside guy two to three years from now, listen, Danny Ainge can only accumulate and he can only sit on assets for so long he didn't want to move the three pick for Paul George now I understand Paul George has a lot of connections to LA very very flashy very flashy but I think even if you don't want to put the pick in a deal for George go after Jimmy Butler you know there were multiple players out there available for them 
to go after. You got to reach the point at one at one point. I wish we had a Celtics and they, fan. And, and just not sorry to cut you off. No worries. All of these players who were out there on the market for the Celtics would have slotted in perfectly, perfectly on that team. They would have been an upgrade over Jay, uh, Jay Crowder. They would have fit next to whatever guards that they were playing with. And they would have easily been able to fit without Horford. I wish we had a Celtics fan here because I want to ask them, do you reach the point where it's like enough is enough? Let's take a swing. Like if you take a swing on somebody like Jimmy Butler, Paul George, you're not setting yourself back. You got to take your chance, man. Right. And I think that's what Celtics fans are going to say. But at the same time, they got to be happy with where they're at moving forward because they have all this opportunity still with all these young guys. You got to be patient, I they guess. They have a collection of seven, eight, or nine. They like young. Talented players that I, a lot of other teams, a lot of other organizations would be incredibly envious of, but I think it was a missed opportunity because I think if you move that pick for a, a star player now, I don't think that really hurts your your long term, you know, five to ten year aspirations. I tend to agree. And what do we know? We've, what do grown, we know? Up, we've grown up watching the Knicks, correct? So we don't really. Maybe, they are a an abomination. Know. Maybe we don't know. What Although to do. I, I kind of like the pick. Well, we're going to get into that. But first, this is Sports Blogging Network Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy. Joined here with Joe Calabrese. Don't forget to check out our presenting sponsor, which is Wooter Apparel. Check them out at WooterApparel.com or at Wooter Apparel on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the whole nine. They have fully customized team uniforms and apparel, but they don't just do uniforms for football, baseball, basketball, softball, golf, bowling, the whole nine. They also create stuff like hats and backpacks and full design team any design you want, and they deliver. That's Wooter Apparel, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Look them up, give them a follow, and use discount code SBNY at your purchase for a special discount. And that's discount code SBNY. All right. So we got the next pick here, which is slightly controversial, I'll say. I think some people think it's real controversial, but I think a lot of Knicks fans out there actually accept this pick and like it. So we're going to break it down. But just because we have this little awkward spot of uh, five, six, and seven that we didn't talk about uh, before the Knicks picked at eight, let's run through these guys. Give sure. me, give me, give me two lines on Darren Fox. Supremely athletic, gifted, gifted, gifted athlete. I know those two are the same things. Those are the same things. I'll count um, them as one. No, but I think he's a tremendous on-court leader too. I, I honestly think he might. End up being either better than Fultz or Ball. Wow, I really yes. do. Uh, I I believe he's going to be much closer to to a guy like John Wall, who went to Kentucky, than a lot of people think. And I think it's a home run for Sacramento, who haven't hit too many singles and doubles in the last ten years. Now they hit a home run. So, yeah, and yeah. we're gonna get into Sacramento because we're gonna be talking winners and losers. Uh, Don't spoil I, it. I'm just saying they they might fit in there because let's be real they're one of the obvious teams that may have been a big winner in this draft but we'll get to that I agree De'Aaron Fox if he happened to make this run of greatness uh, more towards the beginning of the college year instead of at the end I think it would have been way easier to include his name as a top top uh, possible top pick possible three pick possible four and he was still in that conversation everybody has great things to say about him as a person as a player great pick for Sacramento couldn't agree more Jonathan Isaac big upside guy. Crazy length, 6'10", 6'11", with an over-7-foot wingspan. Goes He's to nuts. Orlando. What the hell does he project? Do we even know? I, I sincerely don't know because Orlando has a lot of square pegs, round hole pieces. Can Jonathan Isaac play next to a guy like Aaron Gordon? Ugh. Ugh. 
You know, what I, mean? I don't know. Um, can he shoot? A Alfred, little bit. Their point guard, Alfred Payton, he can't shoot. Who shoots on that team besides Evan Fournier? Um, Mario Hazonia, baby. Love him. Give him he a chance. He hasn't been able to give, play, give him a he chance. He hasn't been able to earn playing time this first two seasons. Like I said, there, I like Isaac a lot, but Orlando right now, I think, I think more than anything too, they're the type of team that should package off three or four of these assets and go get just somebody. Go get one. So get, go go yeah, get one, and yours. then and then worry about. Do we want to put Aaron Gordon next to that one? Do we want to put Jonathan Isaac next to that one? You know what I mean? Right. So they need that They need that first building block. They don't have it. So I absolutely believe, and I like breaking down players in the sense that Jonathan Isaac is an NBA player. Guaranteed. No, this, I, I agree. This guy is 15 years in the league. I know it. I know it. And he you made it. Like, I like, when you look at a guy like Laurie Markkinen, which is the next pick we'll get into, you know he has a chance to be a real good player in this league. But you have this feeling where... Damn, maybe he's going to get abused by some of these athletes. Jonathan Isaac will not and will be a proficient NBA player. But he has an upside where if he develops a stroke, he can be a stretch four or a stretch five. He is that long, that good at protecting the rim. He's going to be a great defender. Offense is where we're curious. And he has the athleticism and you know clean enough stroke to think this guy might be a really good player. I don't think he'll ever be a best player on the team. But all right, let's move on. Laurie Markkinen. Weird pick for the Bulls for me. What was your reaction to seeing there that they're going to start their rebuild with a guy like that? I why well, I, I compared him to KP before. That's very obvious and it's very lazy. Uh, I definitely see some Dirk too. I think Oof. he's got range. Oh my god, what? He's got range. Yes, yeah, so what? You he's see, got some range. You see how he's he a solid rebounder. No, he's he's not as fluid. Dirk was always a very fluid player. No, I'm not even talking about fluidity. I'm talking about strength and brute force. Like this guy. Well, he this has, is well. He moves three years, Well, three years from now, we'll we'll see how how much bulk he adds, how strong he gets, whether he's able to bang inside a little more, or whether he's going to be more. Right now, we don't know if he's 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 somewhere between Ryan Anderson and Dirk Nowitzki. Ooh, you think he's that good? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. I I watched Arizona this year. They struggled early in the year because they didn't have Alonzo Trier. When Trier came back, him and Markinen together were pretty, pretty dynamite. And I'm much higher on marketing than most. I would, I, I, it's hard to say I would have taken him in the top five because the top five is pretty set. Yes. But um, I like him more of a, as a prospect than I do Isaac. And I thought this was maybe not necessarily the best team fit for him, but in terms of where he should have been drafted, I think this was the right spot. I so think I, it's I bizarre yeah. because another comp he gets is Channing Fry. Knockdown shooter. Yeah, that's no. I think he does more as well. He puts the ball on the he puts the ball on the floor way better than people understand. Absolutely. He can he can drive, but he might get bodied. He he has a very unique offensive game, like a Dirk, like a like a KB. He, is, he could do he could do a bunch of different things. He's a seven foot JJ Redick who can't defend anything. Mm. He can't rebound for a seven footer. He can't defend JJ Redick. He's a seven foot JJ Redick. Like that that's who he looks uh, like to me. I don't know. And that doesn't feel like number seven pick on a rebuilding franchise. He's that, a, he's he's a better rebounder than you think. He averaged less than five a game in college as a seven footer. I don't think I don't think he's going to be Brooke Lopez at the next level. I don't think he's gonna be the seven footer who just scores eighteen twenty. Even Brooke like, Lopez averaged seven boards a game though. I think Laurie Markkinen, after next year, might be averaging four rebounds a game. No, I think he'll be better than that. I don't think he's going to be a pure stretch four. I don't know if he's going to be like that four or five in-between banger type either. But well, I think I think his upside's pretty good. And 
I don't think Dirk was an elite rebounder in his prime. No. He wasn't. That's fair. Right? You know so. you know what I'll say about this? I'll say this and we'll move on to the next. So that's what we're here to talk about for the next uh, probably close to 10 minutes. And then we're going to run through the rest of the draft. Maybe, maybe five or seven minutes we'll spend on the next. But there were players like Dennis Smith on the, on the board there. And you take a guy like Marketing at seven. He doesn't seem like a guy to me that I can chalk up as the best player on the team. Not even close. I agree with that. He'll never be the best player on your team. He may not be the second best player on your team. But at seven, if you're getting a guy who could maybe be the third best player in your starting lineup at some point in the next three or four years, that's not so bad. And this is my KP comparison where I don't think it's the same. When you saw KP play, he had this aggression to his game, this physicality sense where it was unprecedented almost, where he would fly at the basket with no regard for his body almost for a putback dunk where he wanted to kind of bang bodies a little bit. Don't know if I see that with marketing, and that's what scares me a little bit. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I, 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 I can see what you're saying. There's definitely, like, an electricity to, when you watch Zinger play, like, it pops off, you know what I mean? Like, like he didn't look like he, him, he didn't look scared of any moments ever. Right. He, when you watch Zinger, he doesn't do particularly flashy things, but they're flashy. Yeah. Marketing like, doesn't... Marketing doesn't have the, the sparkle that, that KP does. The one, that's fair. The one, I, I, I don't disagree with that. The one thing marketing got is a stroke, and that's the truth, though. It might be the best shooter in the draft. But let's right. move on. We're here to talk about the Knicks now, and we got to spend some time on this. So get ready. Phenomenal. Buckle your seats. Knicks fans, let us know how you feel. My Twitter's at Pete underscore Kennedy 81. That's at Pete underscore Kennedy 81. Follow me. Shout me out. Let me know what you think about this pick. Good, bad, indifferent. The whole nine. Let us know, because we're about to let you know. And Joe, shout out your Twitter as well. J the followers. J Calabrese one. J Calabrese one, baby. J C A L A B R E S C one. Very easy to follow. Love it. And then of course our own Twitter at Sportblog NYC. Let us know what you think about this pick and what you expect for year one and then maybe year five, year ten. Let us know. Let us know how you feel. So I'll give you my reaction. And then you can go next. I just made Thank you. I made that decision. I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, that was an executive decision. Executive decision. There were three guys on the board. Malik Monk, Dennis Smith, Frank Neokina. A week ago, before the KP rumor started, our biggest worry was who are we going to take? And then our biggest worry became, holy hell, please don't trade Porzingis. Eh, actually, we, we might get a haul back. Maybe we can trade him. No, 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 no. Actually, no, 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 no. Don't trade him. Don't trade him. We want him here. Okay? So then there were three guys on the board. Let's move all the KP stuff away. If you told me two weeks ago we were going to have Smith, Monk, or Nilokina, I would say, cool, we're good. We did fine. These three guys in the draft are different. They're all very different. Dennis Smith has the making of a lead score guard, scoring guard. Malik Monk has the definition of scorer, probably not a lead guard. Frank Nilokina has the best of all these worlds. He projects as a decent shooter, he projects as an amazing defender, and he's a willing passer, ready to work, and ready to learn. And if you talk about fit with Christoph Porzingis, I think Nilakina is the best one. Because Dennis Smith is a pure pick-and-roll attacker. He would help Porzingis get open looks, wouldn't help Porzingis really, really grow. Frank Nilakina should come into New York willing to do whatever it takes with the upside that none of these guys have on the defensive end or as a holistic point guard. And that's why I believe Frank Nilakina was a good pick. And on top of all of that, 
there's one guy in the Knicks franchise, the Knicks whole franchise who works there, who gets praised as top-notch, and that's their damn foreign scout. KP, Willie Hernan Gomez, Kuzminskis is fine. He, lost, he was lost on defense last year, but the guy, the guy can play basketball a little bit. That scout knows what he's doing. Whoever's advising Phil on this, these foreign players is doing fine. And I'm taking my swing on 6'5", 7-foot wingspan, freak athlete with a clean stroke. Frank Nielakina, welcome to New York. I ain't doubting this pick for one second. The floor is yours. That was impressive. I don't know. That, that was my reaction because people got pissed off. People were like, how are you going to leave Monk when was the last, when Monk's on the board? When was the last time the Knicks fan base liked the pick? Andy Routens. <laughs> it, was, it didn't happen. It hasn't happened since we were alive. Who? Yeah, for the real. The last time it happened was Patrick Ewing. I mean, people got hype about like the Tim Hardaway pick, but that's in the 20s. You don't have high expectations. You were a twinkle in your daddy's eyes when the Knicks took Patrick Ewing. That, is that was correct. the last time Knicks fans enjoyed their pick. That is correct. I will say this. I, I can see... I personally... I'm a huge Dennis Smith fan. I loved him playing at NC State. I think he's going to be a vastly, vastly superior scorer. I think you hit the nail on the head there. But in regard to the Knicks, as it as they as they're currently constructed now, they still have Mello. Can't get rid of him right now. Nope. Don't e- honestly wait. I'm gonna cut you off real quick. Go ahead. Don't even bring up trade Mello to me. I'm tired of it. I don't want to hear it. That's a hot take. It's impossible. No, it doesn't matter if it's not a hot take because we don't have the ability to trade Carmelo Anthony. Just stop bringing it up. Stop saying why why haven't we traded Mello yet? Because we can't. Because the keys are in Mello's pocket. And the only way for us to get through the door of kicking him out is if he says it's okay. So stop bringing it up until Mello says, I'll be traded. If get over it. I believe He's going to be here. Yeah. He doesn't want to be He wants to be here. Sorry. Yeah. That just pisses me off. <laughs> they could always wave him. Sure. That would be the last option. And it's possible. I don't see it happening. But guess what? Phil doesn't want to do that. Because if Phil waves Mello... He'll be at such a, a position of just the negativity from the media. Why would you? Why did you sign Melo if you were only going to wave him and you couldn't move him? It would. It would be a total disaster. It would never happen. That's the only way I think you're really truthfully going to be able to part ways with Melo, and it could be amicably. And you could say to Melo, "Listen, you can go wherever you want." You can, you can choose wherever you want. We don't have to force a trade. We don't have to force feed somebody. You know, force feed you on somebody. But I don't, I don't, I doubt that happens. So you're not going to trade Melo, right? No. But getting back to the whole, uh, how Nikina, uh, no, Akina Smith and Monk would fit in with the Knicks. So we still have Melo. And regardless of how badly he's aging, how slow he looks on defense. He could still score. He's going to get 20 points a game. Right. That's, that's just Carmelo Anthony. Chalk it up. Chalk right. it up. That's just Carmelo Anthony. So he's going to get his shots. The KP, last year, would, argue, would say a good portion of the season, one of the Knicks' biggest problems was that they did not figure out how to use KP properly in year two. You can make a good case that, although he improved in a bunch of areas and had fairly consistent production, maybe he took... Half a step back last year. Nah, I don't buy it. Year. I don't buy it at all. 
You really? There's, I don't. I don't. I, I don't feel like see that. I feel like I watched KP last year and he was very productive, but that production wasn't necessarily translating to good things to lead the Knicks to wins. But that wasn't his fault. That no, was, I, I, that, that was the fault of Derrick Rose doing his own thing, no matter what. That was the fault of Carmelo just being Carmelo. Well, we're gonna that, that this perfect, 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 perfect segue. Derrick Rose was a third guy who needed the ball, who needed the ball in his hands. He needed to drive. He needed shots. He needed his scoring opportunities. And he got buckets, right? Sure. And he got buckets, right? But what what good was it? Nothing. Because what he good was it? Couldn't help anybody score, and he couldn't play defense. The absolute biggest, the two biggest things, well, three. Well, you kill two birds in one stone. The two biggest things the Knicks needed, the Knicks needed, was a distributor and a guy who could defend. A guard defender. A guard defender. A guy who could play point guard and stop other point guards. Now, as much as I like Dennis Smith, I don't know if he's going to be the defender, even come close to the to the defender that my French guy will. Frankie Frankie Nicotine. Frankie Nicotine. Filthy Frank, if you will. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm I'm very curious to see what his what his nickname ends up being. But Filthy Frank is a I'm a fan favorite of that one. Nilakina is going to be an elite defender because he's got the length. And any time a point guard in the NBA comes with his type of pedigree, his type of talent, his he, not so much height, but when a type of player like that comes along, usually they re, they come close to reaching that defensive potential. So it's going to happen. My biggest concern is, is he going to be a scorer? He might plateau as a 14, 15 point guy. Yes. But if he gets you eight, nine, eight or nine uh, assists a game, if he gets you two or three steals and he's an elite defender, I think that's good enough. I think that's exactly what the Knicks need. I have a comp that he didn't grab much by media, but let me let me throw it at you. Let me tell, tell me what you think. Go ahead. Mike Conley. I love it. Absolutely love it. Controls the game. Before before Mike Conley became you know a $250 million contract guy, <laughs> he was a guy who was scoring 16 a game, about seven assists a game, played strong defense, and controlled the offense. He wasn't the best player on the team at the point. Marcus Alsta was great. Zach Randolph was great at the time. They had some other players as well who were helping them. Um, but Mike Conley was a guy who just did a little bit of everything, was dedicated on both sides of the floor, would score a little bit, contribute, I mean, um, pass a little bit, just do a little bit of everything. That's what Frankie Nicotine can bring to the table. Another big quality that I love about Mike Conley is he's got the attitude of a warrior. Yes. When you when we when you watch when you watch those Grizzlies playoff games a couple of years ago. Even this year. They, they fought the Spurs. They they definitely fought the Spurs uh, the Spurs. There were a couple of years, especially with the year that they upset the Spurs in the first round of the playoffs and they took the Thunder to the seven games in the second round of the playoffs. There was a year they made the, the Western Conference Finals. They beat the Clippers a couple of times in the playoffs. Yeah. Every time you sent out Mike Conley out there. He had the ability to not only slow down your best players, he stopped them. And although he his peak production couldn't necessarily match the elite players like a Chris Paul or a Steph Curry, he slowed them down enough that he gave his team chances to win. Remember two years ago when the Warriors in the second round, they were down 2-1 to the Grizzlies. Remember yeah, that? Absolutely. And the biggest... Biggest, biggest 
reason why that happened Vegas. was because <laughs> Vegas, was because of the play of Mike Conley. Yeah. And I, went to, I think that was the very first time he really truthfully got praised. And it's, it's amazing how he's never made an all-star team. Yeah. You see, to me, he's an all-star type of player, but unfortunately, you know, those things don't happen. I think it's an excellent comparison. Now, I don't know if uh, Nidalekina is as, as tough as Conley, you know, because... Well, this kid's 18 years old. Right, that's true. He's going to grow into himself. But I think his skill set is exactly what the Knicks needed. I look at a guy like Malik Monk, and I see he's 6'3". He's not a point guard. He's a shooting guard. Already right off the bat, he's an undersized shooting guard. He's what honestly, is his, he's almost an undersized point guard. What is his What is his game? Does he defend? He's not a great defender. He's an adequate defender. He's not really a great defender. So right off the bat, he's an undersized shooting guard, and he's an adequate defender. Now he's streaky, too. Very streaky. Very streaky. He disappeared at points last he's year. He's the kind of player who, and I tell, I tell this to people all the time, he could score 30-35 a game, and then some of my other friends have gone, 30-35 a game, it's amazing. Right. He'll go, he'll score... 30 points, and he'll shoot 8 from 10 from the floor, whatever. And then the next night he'll come back, and he'll shoot 3 of 17 from the floor, and he'll score 8 points. And then you're wondering to yourself, what is truthfully the, the, the ceiling that I'm getting with a guy like Malik Monk? He's not your best player on your best team, on a best team. He's not your second best player on your best team. It's your, your, your third best player on the best team. You know, yeah. it's, that's like... I'm going to do a cross-sport analogy here. I wish we had like a little drop. It was like, oh, cross-sport analogies time or some, some, some like corny crap like that they do on radio shows. But Frank Nielakina is a starting pitcher in the MLB who keeps you in the game. He gives you a chance to win. He doesn't have the best stats. He doesn't strike out the most hitters. But he gives you a chance to win every time he takes the mound. Malik Monk is a guy who strikes out 12 batters a game but sometimes he gives up six runs. Sometimes he gives up none. Malik Monk is Michael Pineda. <laughs> Malik Monk is Michael Pineda. But actually, Michael Pineda is good this season, so we can't. We oh, can't not recently, one. but we'll get into right. baseball soon. <laughs> yeah, but that's for me. All these Knicks fans are freaking out. How do you not take Smith? How do you not take Monk? All the draft experts had these guys in no specific order. Look at all the mock drafts, all the big boards. Some people had the Mavericks trading up just for Nilakina. Yeah, the Mavericks are a well-run organization. Some I think people, they were more than happy taking the point guard that the Knicks didn't take. And I think and I think the Knicks are happy with the point guard that they took that they knew the other one was going to go to Dallas. Exactly. Like I think they were both really content knowing that we'll have our choice between Frank Nidalekina and Dennis Smith Jr. Like I, I'm absolutely content with that. I don't think Malik Monk was ever really truthfully an option for either of those teams. I believe Monk gets the hype. He played on Kentucky. He had huge moments and huge games. I think he's the least consistent player out of those three in the NBA. I agree with that. And Monk fitting next to Melo and KP, all the shots that they were going to need, would have been a total disaster. And you can make a good argument if Monk is playing the two and they're trying to shoehorn Melo into the three and he can't do it anymore, that's that's a disaster defensively on the perimeter. Like, there's no way either of those players are stopping superior players who can drive. Now let me play devil's advocate to myself here. To yourself. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna devil's advocate myself right okay. now. Malik Monk. I'm happy we got Frank Nielkina, right? But Malik Monk has this Kentucky curiosity, I'll call it, of what else can he do that he wasn't asked to do in Kentucky. So De'Aaron Fox was the point guard. Malik Monk was the so- scorer and assassin. John Calipari has been known to ask certain things of his players. Now, if De'Aaron Fox wasn't on the team, 
or if Isaiah Briscoe and the senior Hawkins weren't on Kentucky and it was Fox and Monk as the only two ball handlers, maybe we saw Monk play a little point guard, handle the ball a little more, but we didn't see him. So people in their head have this feeling of maybe he can develop into a point guard type player with that killer shot he has. Maybe we just didn't see it yet. And that's why I think people love Monk because they've seen him score, they've seen him explode, and they think maybe deep down he can be a point guard too. I was totally anticipating a curiosity killed the cat joke. And I never it never came. I'm so what? upset. I'm so so upset. No, I'm sorry. Um But think about it. Think but about actually it. believe it or not, I don't John Calipari went on ESPN on draft night and he said this exact thing. He said that there are things that NBA teams ask of his players that he has never asked them to do before. Yeah. And it's a testament of their talent. Essentially, what he's saying is that just because I don't ask them to do this for me, just because we don't need this, just because we don't play like this, doesn't mean they're in, like they're incapable of it. Just because he asked Devin Booker to be a six-man scorer, shooter, right. doesn't mean Devin Booker can't come in the, in the league and be the best player on the team. Right. That, that was the perfect, perfect example. Booker was the exact player. He said Devin Booker never ran pick-and-roll sets at all for me when he played at Kentucky. Never did it once to lick. Now he's doing it with more... Frequency in the NBA, and he looks damn effective. In and he too. looks damn effective. He was the main piece that Phil wanted back in in, in, in a potential pre Zinger draft day deal that didn't happen. Right. So, so that there's the issue. There's the nerves when it comes to Malik Monk. But Knicks fans, if you listen to me, if you listen to the SBNY podcast, listen to Pete, and he, you like he's gotcha. If you like Joe Calabrese, I, they don't like me. We <laughs> we don't like to lead you guys astray. We like to tell you not what you want to hear, what you need to hear. I hear why your curiosity. Or your nerves tell you it should have been Smith, it should have been Monk. But let's take this one slowly, for once, as Knicks fans. Let's take it a little slow. Neil Aquina has all the tools and skills to be a good NBA point guard. I ain't here sitting trying to tell you he's going to be an all-star. Or he's going to be legendary. I don't feel that he will. But when I look five years ahead, and I see a 23, 24-year-old Starting point guard in this league, Frank Nielakina, who matches up with any point guard in this league, who can score 15 to 25 on every given night and make his teammates better on both ends of the floor, as the eighth overall pick in an NBA draft, that is absolutely more than I can ever ask for as a New York Knicks fan. So take this one slowly, let Nielakina develop, and let him prove you wrong, just like KP did. Three years ago. This guy has spark. This guy has spunk. (laughs) Spunk's kind of a funny word. But he has a chip on his shoulder now. To prove New York, he was worth the eighth pick. Let's give him the chance. My last point is that I think over the years, despite not having the the ammunition, despite not having the assets of the, the high picks that other teams have had, I think the Knicks, based on what they've actually had, have been a particularly solid drafting team. Absolutely. I think their scouts always hit on the talent that's available to them at that pick. I think they've done a very, very good job of that. And I I believe that the pick so much so, like it wasn't Monk. It was between the two point guards. They both had their strengths. But in the end, I think the player that they took fits into what they want to do closely in the short term and in the long term.
So I, I definitely I trust the Knicks scouts here. Imagine that. <laughs> Very good. This is Sports Blog New York Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Tell us what you think. Tell us how you feel about us, about the podcast. The short episodes, long episodes, the whole nine. But leave a little rating. Leave a little review. We appreciate every listener who comes out here listening to the SBNY Podcast. I'm Pete Kennedy, joined here with Joe Calabrese. We kind of went a little long on the next there, but as you can imagine, us New Yorkers, we need to we need to vent. We need to. We don't. We don't need ten minutes on the Nets pick. We could talk about that in sixty seconds. <laughs> we could tell you how we feel. We need no, to let, no, let no know. offense to the, the Nets fans out there. Um, they ended up. They made a tremendous pre-draft trade to get D'Angelo Russell. So, for all those those people out there, oh, the net, the Nets don't have the picks. Like, oh, we haven't had a first round pick in a few years. Guess what? You have a former two overall pick. You just got at, at literally the price of taking on Mozgov into Brook Lopez's salary. Spot. Absolutely. So they collected a bad contract for a an incredibly high. I think he's still a very high ceiling player. People got down on him way too quick. I'm with you. Yep. But let's let's move on. Let's not go straight to the Nets. Let's do this because we're at 52 minutes already. 53 minutes. Let's start with number nine, Dennis Smith. I'm going to skip a couple as we go. Okay. But I want to just bounce a few names at you and I. Sure. We're just going to tell you our thoughts for the fit of the team and the player in general. So first off, Dennis Smith, Mavericks. Love I it. thought it was a great pick for them. Phenomenal. Exactly what they needed. Rick Carlisle, Mavericks, Dennis Smith. Fits better to me than Dennis Smith in New York. Yes. It's a win-win. Like we said, it's a win-win both, both teams, teams were right. happy. They got exactly the one, what they needed. The one they got. Right. Dennis Smith should fit great in Dallas. But let's move on. This is a head-scratcher for me. Zach right. Collins, Portland. I agree with this. I don't like the trade-off. I thought they they could have collectively gotten better value at 15 and 20 that they did in 10. I don't know if Zach Collins is a needle mover. I think he's very athletic. I think he can be a starter. I don't think he's an impact starter. It got to scare you that this guy wasn't a starter in high school, wasn't a starter in college. Right. He only, he only came along at the very, very end. Now, he had a really good tournament run and had a really, really good performance in the Final Four. Had a great performance in the National Championship game. A terrible National Championship game at that. Ugh. But still, I think I think it's a head-scratcher. I, they only moved up 15 to 20 for 10, so it wasn't really necessarily a huge mover. But, again, you don't know if he could be Myers Leonard. Yes, and this is why this is why I don't like the pick. 15, Justin Jackson, 20, Harry Giles. Give me Justin Jackson, Harry Give Giles. Me Harry Giles instead of Zach Collins, ten times out of ten. It's also it's also a, a culture deal for the Kings. The Kings clearly went into this draft wanting two things. They wanted supreme upside that they got with the Aaron Fox, and they wanted to change the entire culture of that team. They wanted to bring in guys who were proven winners in college, who were good. So let's let's move on. Let's move on. All right, Next, no, that was that was very good. So Malik Monk, Charlotte. What do you think, fit wise? You don't like the fit. Because of Kemba, I could see that. I like the fit because I think MKG is a great defender on the outside. He's gotten better offensively over the years. He's never going to be anything more than a a solid offensive player. So I think getting Monk, even though he's a little undersized, even though that backcourt duo Kemba and Monk is going to be very questionable defensively. That that won't be the starting two. I know. You still have Nicholas Batum in the mix. Yep. But at this point... I think they needed another scoring punch, especially after they traded Marco Bellinelli, solid three-point shooter, and one of the 10,000 Plumley brothers for Dwight Howard. So Howard's not going to bring you offense. He's going to bring you rebounds and blocks. So I thought they definitely needed another scorer. Um, it's not the, the best fit in the world, but I thought it was a good fit for them. Monk will be a bench player for the first chunk of his career, possibly for his whole career. I think he'll be a starter. He has the potential to be a starter, but he I also has... 
the potential to be a phenomenal six man and be a six man for most of his career. No, I think he'll be a, a good starter. I, 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 I don't think. I think he's close. Oh, I can't think of a comparison off the top of my head. I don't think he's Lou Williams. You think he's better than Lou Williams? I think he's all better around. than Lou Williams. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll wait and see. Let's keep moving. Another one that was a little bit interesting. Luke Kennard, Detroit. Love Business. the player, hate the fit. Ooh. Preach. I. He's a. I think he's a great offensive player. I think he's going to be a good scorer. Who is he going to defend? Two's. Now, when you look at now, when you look at Detroit. They're going into rebuild mode. Like they're going to shop Reggie Jackson. They'll probably re-sign Andre Drum- Andre Drummond. But all in all, they're still in that like that middle in between stage. Like they don't know if they're coming or going. They don't know if they're rebuilding or not. I don't think he's a good fit for everything else that they have. Yeah. Okay. I I uh, I like the player. I actually said in the pre-draft podcast he has the potential to be the reach the same ceiling as Jason Tatum, and I think that's a little <laughs> great. That's a little bit of a hot take, but the reason I say that is because. He can shoot, he can pass, he can move with and without the ball. Defensively, mm, mm. probably average upside at, at best, like right. to be average. But he's a culture guy who can play offense the right way and can be possibly the best shooter in the draft. All right, right. let's move on. This is a pick I absolutely love. Not I love be- this pick too. Not because it's my Utah Jazz, my second favorite Your team. Your Utah Jazz. My second favorite team in the Utah Jazz. But this guy I considered taking at eight for the Knicks. No, Don- absolutely. Donovan Mitchell, supreme athlete, should be a great defender with true offensive upside. Jazz might really need him if right. George Hill goes, and he could become a cornerstone if Gordon Hayward walks as well. Yeah, I think he's a he projects as a really, really good two way two guard. I think he's tenacious. With I, a little ball handling upside. With a ball handling upside, absolutely. I love this pick. I don't think he'll be an all star. But he's going to be a really good starter for a long time. I couldn't agree more. This one, I hate this pick. Couldn't <laughs> hate it more. Miami Heat. I don't know what, what they. What are you doing? I you, don't know what they did here. You have Hassan Whiteside, right. so you picked smaller, slightly more athletic Hassan Whiteside, who can't do anything offensively other than rim run and get put back dunks. Bam Adebayo should be the only Bam Adebayo on the team, but now he's surrounded with Hassan Whiteside, who's basically giant Bam Adebayo. <laughs> Stupid pick. Don't get it. At all. Yeah, you can't play out of bio and white side together next to each other. It's just not going to work. It is 2017. What are you doing? It's 2016. To them, maybe. What are they (laughs) they thinking? All right, let's keep moving. Kings, we talked about them before. Justin Jackson. Yes. Bulls, we talked about Justin Patton. Bucks, DJ Wilson. Love it. Good. I I tweeted out earlier. uh, I think every single single one of these next picks coming up, the Bucks, DJ Wilson, the Bucks in recent years have gone supremo. They want life. They want guys who don't have a position. They want their <laughs> one to five to be fluid. S- fluid. They want like six eight, six nine, six ten players everywhere with like seven six wingspans. Like they want their ones to defend the fives. And you know what I mean? Like they just want as much length as they possibly can. So that's why I think it's a great fit. They put Brogdon and Delvadova in there to guard point guards, Slay. and then two through five is a toss up. It's great. Think about Tony Snell, Chris Middleton. Now DJ Wilson, John Henson, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jabari Parker. I was going to say, you waited like five players to friggin' say the Greek freak. But you know what's funny, actually? I'll, I'll, I know we're running out of time here. We, I mean, we have as much time as we want, but we don't want to go too long. I had a friend text me about the podcast the other day. He said, you know what the most impressive thing was? How smoothly you said Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis Antetokounmpo. <laughs> I never thought of it. But you got I was, practice. I was proud I said it well. They are going crazy with this length thing, and I love it. No, I love These it too. supreme long athletes, and I love what they're doing. Right. DJ Wilson is 6'10", 
Moves like he's a 6'6 wing. Yes. This guy can do a little bit of everything. How do you not get excited about watching another basically 7-footer next to Giannis? Another starter. Another starter. Unbelievable. Okay, TJ leaves to Indiana. I think that's an average pick. I Yeah, I think all of these these coming up picks, like, uh, I'm not, I don't want to get ahead of it, but like the TJ Leaf pick. Hey, get Indiana, ahead of yourself. It's okay. The John Collins pick to the Atlanta. I think the Tyler Light, I'm going a little far off, but the Nuggets with, involved in the trade with the Jazz, they took the Tyler Lydon from Syracuse. I think all these picks are just generally the same. They're kind of, not necessarily need picks, but they needed a little more up front. Um, I think all these players definitely have some scoring upside. The player that I like the most out of this is John Collins because his efficiency rating at Wake Forest was completely off the charts. He was one of, if I'm not the most efficient player in college basketball last year. I think he projects well as a guy who, if they end up moving Paul Millsap in a trade, or he ends up leaving a free agency in the next couple of years because they're looking to go into rebuild mode very soon. Yeah, I think he's a guy who can slot right into Millsap's spot, and within two or three years, maybe not give you the same production, but just be able to replace what he brings right now. Do some of those things they need to get done. Yeah. Uh, so I sent out a tweet of three random picks that I like, and again, I'm on Twitter at Pete underscore Kennedy 81. Uh, I sent out a tweet of three random picks that I really liked, and they were in this range of 17 to 21. Number one was DJ Wilson. Right. I just talked about that. Yeah. Number two, the Sacramento Kings took their third first-round pick at number 20 right. and went with the crazy upside. If he never got hurt, may have been a top-five pick. Remember that. Harry Giles was projected to be a top-five pick in the NBA draft. Got hurt. Sacramento took a swing at 20, their third pick. Phenomenal upside. I absolutely love it. Phenomenal value. And believe it or not, I think this is the right fit team-wise too because the Kings are going to have the opportunity to play a Harry Giles. You, with the other teams in these in this range, they're a bunch of borderline solidified playoff teams. You don't know yes. if Harry Giles is going to get the minutes. I think Harry Giles is the kind of player who is so high upside, like you're going to need to play him a lot. Like you've got to see what you got to let him have with him. Let him loose. Right. And all the all the talks from the workouts said that his knees looked great. Right. He was moving great. So good for Harry Giles. Absolutely. The teams that I would have liked to see him on were the Kings, which he went to, or the Nets, where it just you doesn't know where matter. I, you know where I believe he would have been a really good fit too. And where? again, this is this is why we hate the trade. I think he would have been great on the Trailblazers. That's why I don't like the move because if you look, they they traded up for Zach Collins. At 15, they could have taken DJ Wilson. At 20, they could have taken Harry Giles with those two picks. Now, all of a sudden, would you rather have DJ Wilson and Harry Giles? Two pretty lengthy guys, guys who can score. You, Giles is going to project as a 4-5. DJ Wilson's more of a, um, what is he? He's also a 4-5. He's, he's a 4. He's, a four. he's definitely a 4. That's a lot of length, a lot of upside, especially in Portland where they have guys like Lillard and McCollum. I think he would have been a great fit. That's why I can't get behind the trade. The Zach Collins thing yeah. is weird to me as well. I, I agree. I think Harry Giles on the Kings or the Nets would have been good. Let him loose, see what he can do. Right. Let him grow. That's great. Harry Giles on the Hawks, like you said, team in the playoffs, he ain't ready for that. On the Thunder, he ain't ready for that. Terrence Ferguson, on the other hand, coming from Australia, was a U.S. guy, would have been a top 15 prospect, but went to Australia. Everyone kind of forgot about him. Thunder get a steal for me he has at one, 21. He has one job. What shoot. Is Just shoot the ball. Shoot. Now, this, this, man this is going to be tough with Russell Westbrook taking 40 shots tonight. Well, he, he has out. to learn. Right. we got to do, do another whole podcast for that. But this man is 6'7". He's bouncy. He's an athlete. And he's a shooter. And he, what does he want to do? He wants to shoot. But as of right now, 
perfect spot. He doesn't have to start. He can come off the bench. They can ease him in. He can get his shots. Great fit. Defensive upside, 6'7". Reminds me of a Clay Thompson. Obviously, maybe not that good, but he reminds me of what he can do on the floor. Right. And that's fantastic value at 21 for me. Let's talk about the Nets. We reached the, <clears throat> like we reached the Nets at 22. Did a good job of getting D'Angelo Russell, like you said, and then sneaking into the first round to get a pick who I think could have gone in the top 14. When could've I look, been, when I been a lottery pick. When I look at the Heat and them taking Bam out of bio at 14, and I look at the Nets who took Jared Allen at 22, I think the Nets got way better value. I can actually, I can actually guarantee that Jared Allen will be a more effective pro than Bam. Absolutely, Adebayo. I agree with that 100. percent I like it's 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 all about fit. It's all about skill set and fit. And I think Jared Allen can come into the Nets situation from day one. They have Mozgov now, but. Yeah, he's irrelevant. Right. He's just, they ate up his contract. Allen's going to get every opportunity to play some good minutes early. Might be a 25-minute player right off the bat. And he is a guy, by the way, who, you know, you're sad to see Brooke Lopez go as a Nets fan, but Jared Allen is a really good good dude. He was like a double major or something like that in, like, engineering. (laughs) He wanted, wanted, I mean, he only stayed a year, obviously. He's a youngin'. But he was supposed to be, he's a smart guy. He's a real smart guy, high character, kind of nerdy in a way. Um, but really great pick. I, I love, love it for the Nets. No, I do. I do. I think he's just going to be a solid. We we talked about this before. I think he's just going to be a really solid, probably maybe fourteen eight kind of guy. Yeah, just really just solid and modern day NBA center. Really, really lengthy too, and he can defend too. All right, so let's keep moving here. I got a couple, couple more first round picks I want to talk about. First one is Raptors OG Anunoby. I love this pick. I mean, I mentioned the the Josh Jackson Andre Iguodala comparisons before, but. Uh, Anunoby got hurt. He had knee probably had a knee injury this season. Had he not got hurt, he would have been in the lottery too, which goes to show you. We keep saying this. This pick could have been the lottery. This pick could have been the lottery. This could pick could have been the lottery. You're only gonna hear this from us. Like this draft is among one of the better drafts in the last ten to fifteen years. There is so much talent in this draft, and the Raptors got an absolute steal because even though Anunoby, uh, I can't even say his name. Anunoby. Even though he fell this far, and even though his offensive game is pretty limited, his defensive upside is elite. Absolutely elite. He's a tremendous fit next to DeMar DeRozan. Absolutely. Even though they could use a little more shooting on that squad as well, but I, I agree. agree. Um, <laughs> let's keep moving here. We got the Nuggets, Tyler Lydon. I think he has a place in the NBA solely based on the fact that he can be a stretch four. Right. He doesn't seem to project to do anything else. No. All right. So we were, we're both out <laughs> on him. But this is what, like you said before, this is a deep draft. I don't know if there's any absolute studs in this draft that are going to run the NBA one day. I think, there are, I think there are a few. I think there might be two. But I'm saying even if there I are have, not... I have three off the top of my head. We'll do that. Well, you can say those at the end. But right. If they're not three or four absolute studs, there are about 15 to 20 NBA players in this draft. That's people who have places in this league. And I think that goes a long way further than people expect. Let's hop over to 26 Trailblazers. Khalid Swanigan. Fan favorite guy. Yes. I, uh, talking to people at CBS Sports, they believe he's going to stick in the NBA, and I know a couple of the other SBNY guys aren't a really, really big fan of him because they think he's kind of limited, but from what I've heard, his motor is absolutely off the charts. He's a smart player, he, he's tough, and I definitely think, this is definitely a little bit of a hot take, I think he's going to be a starter in the NBA, wow. and I think he's okay. going to be better than Zach Collins. Wow, that's that's a take. There's your hot I take. think I think the Blazers got better value at 26 than they did trading up at 10. So you're down on Collins, and I I understand that. I see Swanigan more as a good. I don't I don't not, really, yeah I'm not necessarily down on him. I just don't like the the, the pick where the, where he went. I don't like the fit. I just 
I see Swanigan as a really good bench player, and that's about it. Let's keep moving. We got wow. one. How we, about that? We got a pick at 30 for the Lakers that I personally do not like on the surface because I don't think Josh Hart is a very good basketball player at the NBA level. <laughs> but as far as culture, rebranding the Lakers, I think Josh Hart is a great guy to be there. This is clearly a culture pick after taking Lonzo at two. Lonzo, you're definitely going to get a mixed bag character-wise. but We know he's an exceptional leader on the court. Uh, this Josh Hart pick is nice for the Lakers because you can allow to you can allow him to develop over the last the next one or two years, and you can see you can reevaluate yourself. Do they move a Jordan Clarkson out? Do they move a Larry Nance out? You know, like do they want to move these these extra secondary young pieces out and let Josh Hart come in here? You know what I mean? Absolutely. So I just think he is a lifer in the bench. He's a bench player. He's not a starting point well, guard. This is, this is so 30, at 30, you're not shooting for the stars, I guess. But at the same time, it's just tough for me to see him lasting in the NBA for more than six years. Right, like I said, if this pick hits, they'll be able to shop Jordan Clarkson. If this pick doesn't hit, then they'll still shop Jordan Clarkson, but see maybe they, they won't. Back. Right. Very interesting. All right, now we're, we're hit the second round, and let's finish up in a couple minutes. Let's not go too much longer. There's a low-key winner in this draft, and they goddamn didn't even have a pick. The Golden State Warriors basically threw threw a washer machine at the Bulls and snagged. They threw like Jordan like ten thousand washing machines. They threw a couple million at the Bulls to buy this pick. A couple million. I know. I was being a little downplaying that, I guess. But they gave cash considerations to Chicago for the rights to Jordan Bell, a six ten athlete with over seven foot wingspan. He's gonna help the Warriors first game of the year. Supremely athletic and block shots. He's he's not a freshman. Not a freshman. He came from a winning culture at Oregon. He's he it's he's gonna come in and just seamlessly just the transition, playing with all those those talented leaders in Golden State. It's just perfect. It's the rich get richer. The rich get richer. Ain't that the truth? All right, let's talk about a guy. His name is Jawoon Evans, one of my favorite low key players in this draft. Originally drafted by the Sixers, got moved to the Clippers. I like the pick for the Clippers, I guess. You know, they don't really have a true backup point guard. They're really not going to have much in about a week or two. True, when Chris Paul and Blake Griffin possibly walk. They're both going to leave. Well, let's think about this. I thought Jaboon Evans could have been picked as high as 22. He yeah, fell absolutely. all the way down to almost 40, got picked at 39. Do you think this guy has NBA starter potential? Yeah, I when I look at this, I see players... Well, you said 22. That might be a little too high for me. I see everybody from 25 to 45... And I think there's still going to be a lot of good NBA rotation players and a couple... Obviously, there are going to be a couple of busts every year. Yes. But I think the value in this part of the draft is what's going to separate this draft from a lot of other drafts. Because there are players that we skipped. You know, Frank Jackson, who went to the Pelicans. There's Frank Mason, who went to the Kings. Nice, another, back, another winning, nice little backup piece for them. Another winning culture player. The Celtics took semi... Ojale. Right. So they needed forward help. They got Tatum and Ojale and good even size, good shooting. Even though I don't necessarily love the, 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 the Tatum pick, again, size and shooting desperately needed. Then you look at the Hawks, Tyler Dorsey. You know, he's going He's the to, Malcolm Brogdon of this draft. For absolutely. Me. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I love the comparison. So you look at all these players drafted in this range, and we only hit, we we're only gonna be able to hit on a few of them. And to me, Necessarily, you don't need a home run at this stage of the draft. You need guys who are going to be able to come off the bench, give you solid minutes. There's there's the the potential in this draft You're, for so many valuable bench players who are actually going to make an impact in the NBA. It's yeah. crazy. And there's a guy who I skipped, who I can't believe I skipped. 
the most Spursiest Spurs pick of all time. Oh, Derek White. Derek White from oh, Colorado. Oh, no, I love him too. D- I love him. D2 to D1. You know what? He's going to start for the San Antonio Spurs. He's going to be a very good starter for them. Maybe not off the bat. No, not off the bat. That's not how they roll. Not off the That's bat. not how they roll. Maybe next year or two years down the line, he's going to be a player from this draft that sticks and starts on a winning team. He's just a high IQ, high work ethic, talented player. DeJounte Murray out of Washington last year, you didn't even see him play for San Antonio. All no. of a sudden, they're in the playoffs, and this guy's playing like he's been on the team for eight years. Yeah. Derek White can be very similar to that. Good size. Right. Can do a little bit of everything as you a guy. You can go- make a, a good argument that Tyler, uh, Tyler, Derek White could have went 10 spots higher. Wow. So that's interesting. Yeah. There's this, there's all this parody in the draft. There's no parody in the league, but there's parody in the draft, and that's why we love the NBA draft so much. Right. But All right, so another couple of picks I want to talk about. Let's go back into the Knicks. We took a guy... Damian Dotson. This I'm guy, not really... Uh, uh, this, at, at this point, I'm like, eh. Pure-bred shooter. Right. That's hand, hand and face, don't care. He got the dead-eye badge. Right. I see this guy making the Knicks team and getting some rotation minutes. Right. It all depends on who we bring back. Justin Holiday. Is Ron Baker going to be in the rotation? This, there's, there's a lot of factors that go into this. This guy has shooting guard size, a little small forward size. Can shoot the damn basketball. And is athletic. At this pick, 44, I didn't know much about him before the draft. I watched his tape afterwards. I, I watched him play. The man's a cold-blooded shooter. Yeah, I like the, the Oregon players from this draft. He I, went to Houston, but... Oh, he went to Houston? He went to Oregon first and then finished at Houston. He went to finish at Houston, okay. A little off-the-court problem, but right. whatever. Um, who do we got left? So, Just yeah. you want to hit on the last couple of picks. I like Sandarius Stormwell to the Clippers. Like I said, they're not going to have anything in two weeks anyway, so maybe that's irrelevant. Um... I like Edward Sumner to the Pacers. Yeah, Edward Sumner. Be, I he, think he's going to be a very solid back. He was Joe Stallback's sleeper. Yes. Uh, he thought he was a real good pick. Uh, he was very effective before he got hurt, so we, we shall see. No, I think it's a good fit. All right, right. so I got I got one more thing uh, on the Knicks pick. Got to throw some love at my man, Anjan Jaramaz. Got to throw some love at my oh man. Oh, my God. We got, at number 58, the Knicks pick, the guy. His name is Anjan Jen Jaramaz or something like from that. from Serbia. I'm going to put a link to this guy's clip on the article for this podcast, so check it out. 6'5". <laughs> He's, listen to me. I don't have any expectations for this guy. Zero whatsoever. But I watch his tape, and I think he might be have a place in the NBA. He's 6'5". He's quick-footed. His, sh- his shot's a little inconsistent, but it looks clean. And you know when a shot looks clean, they have the potential to become more consistent. And he's got a quick, quick step with a little bit of hop. He's got a bounce. And he won Defensive Player of the Year out in his league uh, in Croatia or wherever the hell it is. Ogden Jaramez will probably not be on the Knicks this year. But if you ever see him on the Knicks and watch him in Summer League, you're not going to be upset with it. You're not going to be upset with this guy. He's got a little white chocolate in him. He's got a little Jason Williams. A little Williams. white chocolate. Yeah, I Speaking like him. Jason Williams, I like he him. got hurt in the three-on-threes. Did he? Yeah. Oh, I'm so sad to hear that. Yeah. That comes out tonight, by the way. Monday night. All right. That's one. All right. Wait. Let's finish up here. Let's do it. Let's go back to Phil. I'm going to make a statement. You might get mad. Our listeners most definitely will get mad. But I'm going to make a statement. Sure. Phil Jackson, whether you think it or not, he, Phil Jackson, believes he's doing a great job. I'm not saying I believe this. I need to be explicit. But Phil Jackson, in my head, Phil Jackson believes he's outsmarting people. He thinks he is tricking people. He thinks he's doing a good job. He thinks he's creating a good culture. I don't know. I'm not saying he is because obviously there's no results to show for it. But when I look at this guy, Phil Jackson, talk, 
And to bring out a Stephen A. Smith, he has the unmitigated goal to say some of the things he says. Right? He thinks he's doing a good job. And I'm going to say this now. This is year four. He has two more years left. If Frank Nielakina becomes a good NBA player and KP develops and Willie Hernan Gomez becomes a starting NBA center and we have one more pick next year and we hit on that and maybe we actually sign one good free agent after five years of Phil Jackson and we have a couple wins in the book, on the books, us Nick fans who cursed him and hated him and ran him out of town after five years have the possibility to look back and say, Phil, you didn't leave us off in that bad of a place. And it sounds so damn crazy. I feel like we talk about this all the time when we talk about the Knicks. No. I feel like we've said the same thing. Maybe he didn't leave us off in as worst place if we think, right? Maybe he did a, a decent job. So you think I'm being a fanboy right now? No. Be honest. No, absolutely not. I'm not being a fanboy? If you if you hit on KP and you hit on uh, Nilakina and KP becomes an all-star, which is... That's where his trajectory right now is right now. I just think the difference between my optimism and a average Knicks fan's optimism is they're expecting the Knicks to win this year. Like, the Knicks aren't going to win this year. Right. And you can't expect them to. Because right. you know, as well as I do, there will be Knicks fans out there who convince themselves the Knicks are a playoff team next year. They'll convince themselves somehow. I'm not saying that. I think the Knicks are in such a unique spot because I feel like right now we're not going to be able to judge this roster more appropriately until two years from now. And by that time, Melo's gone and Joakim Noah's gone. They're going to have... They're all these, these picks. They're going to have Erna Gomez, KP, Milikina all on the fold, Kuzminkas, whatever kind of young assets they acquire in between now and then, and a boatload of cap space. And, <laughs> you know, you really never know because the NBA cycles these, these days work two to four years now instead of the old five to seven. Well, it's going to be interesting. And especially a lot of max players, a lot of all-star players, they like moving. Players these days, they don't like staying in the same spot for too long. They like chasing wins. They like chasing money. So in two years, the Knicks may end up being in a much better position than we think right now. I'm, and that's my point. Is that I don't, I'm not expecting this to happen. I don't, I'm not sitting here telling you to get your hopes all the way up here. I'm just saying that don't be shocked and understand it's a possibility that this team is actually healthy right now. Other than the Noah contract, and if you want to count Melo, the cap space is fine. The picks are there. We haven't gotten rid of them. There's a chance that after five years of Phil, we say, holy hell, you drove us damn crazy. But this franchise is actually kind of healthy right now. We'll see. <laughs> I'm willing, I'm willing to, to give him... Uh, it's a shot in the dark. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really like what he did this week. I thought a lot of the, the, the problems with the organization were his own. I mean, he... Got pissed about Zinger skipping an exit meeting, but where was he when Derrick Rose skipped town halfway through the season? Oh yeah. So there were a lot of things that I think he he botched, but I mean, I don't know if he's going to make the best executive in the long run. I don't no. know. I, right now, I think he's. I mean, he's he's probably about like a C plus right now, all things considering. And that's, be, that's probably being fair, but like, you can go you can go lower than that. probably. Right. You could you could, I I think you can go the other way. Too. I think you can give him a B minus. Playing you know, playing like, Knicks fans don't even think twice and just say F F F fire and fire and fire him. Right. I don't think it's truly there. It's probably somewhere in between. And uh, like I said, you I'll can't give, expect success right away. No, I agree. There's a there's a weird chance that at the end of it we say okay. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and I'll give him the full five years. You have to at this point. It's the same thing with the mellow no trade clause. Phil ain't leaving right now. James Dolan's sitting on his hands. Actually, no, he's uh, playing an instrument at his little concert. <laughs> but he's not gonna fire Phil, and Phil can't trade Mello. 
Right. So no matter how you look at it, no matter how angry you get, no matter how many times you tweet, fire Phil, he ain't leaving for two years. Melo ain't getting traded. Get over it. Understand that the health of this franchise isn't as bad as it seems from a cap and draft pick standpoint. And let's just roll with the punches. Hope Neil Aquino works out. And we'll see what happens. Hey. Hey. I'm, all, I'm talking to you guys off the cliff. Oh, right yeah. I got you. You got to come to Pete Kennedy and Joe Calabrese on the Sports Blog New York podcast. You ready to wrap it up? Yeah, I'm done. Three winners, three losers in draft. Three winners, three losers. Go. Let's, let's agree on the Kings. And let's, say, let's I do, absolutely I agree on the Kings. Let's do two down. winners, two losers. Sounds because good. Because the Kings. Right. Okay. My first winner is DJ Wilson and the Milwaukee Bucks. Absolutely I love it. I can't that. wait to watch. I can't I wait to watch him. I think the Lakers won. I love Lonzo Ball, and I think Josh Hart's going to be a good player the next level. I think he's going to be a good backup guard. Nice. Yeah. Another winner for me, the fans of the Philadelphia 76ers. The fans. The, not, not the team, the team as well, but the 76ers selling record pace of season tickets. Love Ben Simmons. He's my rookie of the year. Joel Embiid, hopefully he'll stay on the court. Markel Fultz, number one pick for a reason. 76ers, got to love where they're at right now. Am I allowed to say the, the Timberwolves? Sure. Because they got Butler and they got Patton and they got like a legitimate drafty prospect with Butler in the deal. Yeah, the Timberwolves got the best player in the draft, Jimmy Butler. Right. And they got a really good prospect too. So I consider them winners. Two losers. Celtics. Celtics. Because I don't know how Tatum and Ojale are going to work out in the long run. And I think they had the opportunity to trade for Paul George, to trade for Jimmy Butler, to get very close they had the opportunity to trade for both and sign Gordon Hayward to the max. Your boy. I know. It would be very upsetting a if lot. you left. Hey, it's all right. I just, think, I just think, I like what the Celtics did player-wise. I think they got fine value. I just don't, I think they could have hit a home run. They might have hit a double in this draft. Okay. Understood. Right. My loser here is the Pistons. They are the epitome of stuck in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why they're going to rebuild. <laughs> they are going to be stuck in the 12 to 16 range. Yeah. Forever. Forever. <laughs> forever. And I'll give you one more loser. The Trailblazers. I don't like the trade at all. Just don't like it. And they're in cap hell. Luckily, they did good with the Swanigan pick, in your opinion. But that weird... Why would you take 10 when you had 15 and 20? I don't quite get it. Maybe Zach Collin proves us all wrong. Right. I mean, it's like I said. It's like, do you want DJ Wilson? And you could have taken literally anybody Jared else. Allen. Harry, Harry Giles, Jared Allen. Do you want those two? I mean, Swan- like I said, Swanigan's going to be a really good player. I think he's going to be a starter down the line. Because I think he's got the work ethic for it. But I don't know about Zach Collins. Just eh, very iffy on that. But anyway, those are our winners and losers. All right, Sports Blog New York Podcast. My name is Pete Kennedy. And I'm Joe Calabrese. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode. went a little long, but we gave you a whole lot. And if you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Especially those ratings and reviews. Because we love hearing feedback from you guys. All you guys showing up week in and week out to hear what we have to say. We absolutely love doing this. And we're going to keep doing it. And keep giving you guys some good content. So keep coming back and let us know how you feel. This is the SBNY Podcast. Have a good day.